Welcome to Naked Age, a historical audio series exploring uncommon stories and profiling unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. I'm your host, Evan Nix. In this episode, we'll meet transgender woman extraordinaire Marie Willa Bobo Smith, a nudist whose top free activism and public nudism make her a trailblazer for trans visibility. This is Naked Age. In 1965, Zelda Suplee, a popular nudist leader and owner of Sunny Rest Nudist Club, handed over control of the Pennsylvania property to co-owners Wally and Shirley Rogers and moved back to her hometown of New York City, apparently done with advocating for nudism. The move may have seemed abrupt to nudists who knew Zelda Suplee as a very public face of their movement. After all, she'd appeared in television and magazines and films promoting nudism from the popular show What's My Line, to playing herself in the campy exploitation film Diary of a Nudist by director Doris Wishman. Stacy, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm Zelda Suplee. Won't you sit down? Thank you. You've never been a member of a nudist camp before, have you? Well, as a matter of fact, no, I haven't. There's really no reason to be so nervous. I have no intention of giving you a third degree of any kind. As it turned out, Zelda's sudden exit from public nudism was prompted by a new opportunity. She'd been tapped by her friend, Reed Erickson, a wealthy philanthropist, to run his new charitable organization, the Erickson Educational Foundation. EEF, as it was known, was established to educate doctors, social workers, scientists, and the general public about transsexuality. Reed, a transgender man, an occasional nudist himself, had dedicated a substantial portion of his inherited wealth toward advocacy for transgender issues. As general manager of EEF, Zelda would organize symposiums, connect with experts and doctors, and personally help hundreds of desperate individuals find the care they needed. Zelda was also pivotal in influencing John Hopkins University to establish the United States' first gender identity clinic. In 1969, she coordinated the first International Congress on Gender Identity in London. And throughout the 70s, she helped produce documentary films and literature intended to help trans folks. In 1981, the organization now known as the World Professional Association for Transgender Health awarded Zelda and Reed both Lifetime Achievement Awards for their work in the transgender community. Zelda Suplee's story is amazing and notable for being one of only a very few examples of the relatively minuscule intersection between nudist history and transgender history. Well, we put it into a concept uh, statement called uh, uh, body acceptance is the idea and nude recreation is the way. This body positive motto for the Naturist Society was famously coined by Lee Baxendall, 
the organization's charismatic and visionary founder. Lee, a vocal advocate for gays and lesbians in naturism, viewed naturism as truly accepting all bodies. This view of inclusivity was just as true for gays and lesbians as it was for amputees or people with mastectomy scars. This idea that social nudity can help break down the stigmas and hang-ups that people have and help them to accept their bodies is a pervasive one, and one that naturists today still claim as a primary benefit of their practice. However, for people suffering with gender dysphoria, social nudity might not be the prescription it seems on its face. This can be especially true in the gendered environment of traditional nudist camps, with their typical emphasis on maintaining a gender balance. For someone with a gender identity that is not in line with the gender they were assigned at birth, being nude in the view of others can have the opposite effect of fostering acceptance. It can put them right in the crosshairs of social scrutiny and dissection. The practice of maintaining gender ratios in nudist clubs goes back to the very beginning of the nudism movement, and it has met controversy since the start. Letters to the editor of the earliest U.S. nudist magazines decrying the exclusion of single men from nudist clubs were published as early as 1942. In 1947, my own great-grandfather, Rudolph Johnson, a nudist in the Pacific Northwest, had a letter published by Sunshine and Health magazine titled Discrimination Against Single Nudists. Should you publish this letter, it might remind many nudists that humans are human, be they single, married, or just paired off for the purpose of attending meetings at nudist clubs. And I wish to say that this should apply to young and old alike. To this day, many clubs still have a no single men policy on their books to help maintain a comfortable gender balance for women but which often have the effect of excluding gay men, intersex, and gender non-conforming people from nudist environments. Of course, not all clubs are the same. There are several examples of clubs that are totally accepting and accommodating of trans people. However, even without discriminatory policies on the books, a person's comfort in such an environment may very well come down to the level of acceptance shown not by management, but by membership. A nudist club, after all, is merely a cross-section of society. And in our society, the gender binary is so deeply rooted in the way we look at the world that adapting our societal view of non-binary bodies requires significant education, advocacy, and visibility. This is where Marie Willa Bobo Smith comes in. As a transgender nudist activist, Marie Willa aims to confront and challenge many of these preconceived notions about the human body, both in the nudist movement and beyond. Assigned male when she was born in 1964, Marie Willa lived the first 50-plus years of her life as a man. As a teenager, she explored nudism and began to identify as bisexual. She had relationships, eventually got married and became a father, worked jobs, attended church, and raised a family all while experiencing a deep internal conflict over this identity. As cultural ideas have shifted in the new millennium, Marie Willa began to view her sexuality less as bisexual and more as pansexual, which is a romantic or emotional attraction toward people regardless of their gender. This realization helped her evolve her view of gender, 
but still did not reconcile the intense feelings of dysphoria that she had always felt about her own gender. The egg finally cracked in 2016, when something in the news brought everything to the surface for her. North Carolina's state legislature returns for a special session on Wednesday to revisit what's been known as the bathroom bill. House Bill 2 requires transgender people to use public restrooms corresponding to the gender on their birth certificate. By 2017, not long after coming to the understanding that she was trans, Marie Willow was living as a woman, both socially and at work, with the dedicated support of her loving wife, Marge. In 2018, Marie began her medical transition. As she navigated her trans journey, Marie Willa also found her voice as a nudist activist. Marie uses social media to share her story and nude image regularly to over 35,000 followers across Twitter and TikTok. But it extends beyond social media. She engages in weekly top free walks around her community of Fort Bragg, a small conservative coastal town in Northern California in which there's no actual ordinance against public nudity. After receiving insults and threats of violence for this activity, Marie Willa organized a top free march in 2020 garnering local press and the full support of the city police department. Today, Marie Willa's nudism is widely known to residents of Fort Bragg. By multiple accounts, if you knock on Marie's front door while she's home, she will answer wearing nothing but a smile. Marie Willa Bobo-Smith has a -a one-of-a-kind perspective on nudity and body acceptance, particularly as it relates to body dysmorphia and gender dysphoria. She is remarkably open with her body, her experiences, and her views. And recently, just one month after she finally received her gender-affirming surgery, Marie Willa was generous to share her story with me over Zoom from her home in Fort Bragg. What is your earliest memory of nudity? I must have been maybe five, six. We lived in an apartment complex in Southern Columbus, Ohio. We lived on the third floor of this complex and my parents were continually getting phone calls because I would go outside. We had this great big, just open yard backed up to the woods. And um, yeah, I was out running around playing, having a good old time and, you know, parents would get a call. So they would try to get the clothes back on me and I would run and play. (laughs) I hated clothes. I still, don't like wearing clothes. I I do have clothes that I I enjoy wearing, but if I had the choice between wearing those clothes and wearing none, yeah, it'd be none. It it just felt more comfortable to not wear clothes. So I would wear them as infrequently as possible. And my parents hated it. My parents couldn't put clothes on me fast enough. I was taking them off faster. I think they eventually just kind of gave up on that. (laughs) And I am now um, almost 58. I'm 57. I'll be 58 May 1st. And I've been married to the same cisgender uh, AFAB, a person who was assigned female at birth. Mm -hmm. 
since uh, February 17th of 1993. Her name is Marge. We're both nudists, although I tend to be a little bit more of a militant nudist, where she's more of a uh, when in Rome kind of nudist. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, those are two very distinct categories of nudists that I have experienced. Definitely. So. <laughs> Definitely. Nudity was not really accepted in your house. What was that environment like? Um, growing up with my dad and my stepmom, to say they were closed-minded would be an understatement. They were extremely conservative Christian. They made my life a hell. Not only was I a nudist, I was, and I didn't, at the time, there wasn't a word for people like me. I was also, I'm also trans. So, and I've known since I was three, four, that I was a girl. I wasn't the boy. They didn't fight me so much about the nudism that was a problem. It was really more anything that I did that gravitated even a slight step towards girly. That had to be addressed, and it was addressed brutally. Um, I was a walking wound because of it. I developed this this sense of self-hate because in here I'm a girl. In here I hated wearing clothes. Externally, when I wasn't wearing clothes, yep, I had a body part that stuck out like a sore thumb. I call it a sheenus. And that made you a boy. And they expected you to act like one. All the beatings and everything, I internalized a lot of that and began to think of myself as just some sort of a freak, an abomination that didn't deserve the right to life. Eventually, I buried that aspect of me. Eventually, I moved in with my um, mom. We lived in Monroe Falls, Ohio. I was 11, 12 maybe. Her, my stepdad, and a bunch of our friends had all gone to a concert. Well, the concert ended up getting canceled. I didn't know this. I'm out running around in the backyard chasing the chickens and just having me a good old time wearing nothing but a smile and it's it's dark out i didn't know that they had all come home they closed the the sliding glass door flipped on the light and all standing there poking at the window pointing at me laughing their asses off (sighs) and i was embarrassed oh god was i embarrassed here i am i i'm you know, just kind of starting to come into puberty a little bit and was really self-conscious. Everybody disappeared to the family den except for my mom. She brought me down. She's like, Mo, that was my nickname at the time. 
She's like, I get it. You like being naked. I do too. It's okay to be naked, but you got to keep it in the house. You can't tell anybody because they'll think you're weird. She was a hippie and a biker from, she rode with, you know, some pretty heavy hitting clubs. She was a bad bitch, my mom. And um, up until this point, I had never been allowed into the family den. And I didn't, never knew why. So about two weeks after they'd all caught me, running around in the backyard, I got invited to the family den for my first time. I was all excited, you know? And I walked into the the family den. In this room, the den, there was my mom, my stepfather, Robert, um, my aunts, Vicky and Linda, my uncles, Tim and Stanley, John, Michael, and Dave, and their girlfriends. They're all having a jam session. They got out the guitars and the banjos and the harmonicas, the pianos, and just having a great time. And um, nobody was wearing a stitch of clothing. And it was at that point I realized that, okay, yeah, nudity is okay. This was something apparently they did often that you were not yes. aware of? Wow. This is correct, because I was never allowed in the family did, but God forbid that I say something outside of the house that would warrant a beating because... You can't tell nobody. So there was still that aspect of shame. It's a dirty little secret. You can't tell nobody. I moved out on my own. At home, I was naked. Except when friends were over. Dirty little secret. Nobody can know. Somewhere along the way, probably my late 30s, me, my wife, um, we kind of dove a little bit heavier into religion. And I started learning that this supposed God wanted a relationship. And like any relationship, secrets can destroy a relationship. And it occurred to me that if this God didn't want me having secrets because it could destroy our relationship, that maybe it was the same thing with people. And nudism was something that I kept hidden from people that I could defend using scripture. So I did that for a while, and eventually I ended up leaving the church because it just wasn't for me. That is probably the start on my journey to freedom, the freedom that I have now as 
an openly transgender, pansexual woman that is also a nudist. I think nudism may have played a bit of a role in that, in no more secrets, no more dirty little secrets. Nudism taught me to accept other people, that we all look different. We all have various perfect imperfections, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, different body parts, different identities. That's one of the things that kept playing in my head. I was still keeping a secret secret that I thought I could take to my grave. Then the North Carolina bathroom issue blew up and made me really angry and I couldn't understand why. So I started digging. I needed an answer. Why does it make me angry? I'm in California. This is in North Carolina. Why do I care? Doesn't affect me. And as I'm exploring, I'm seeing all of these labels that fit, sort of. The more I dug, the more doors and windows to my past were being unlocked and opened. Eventually, it got to the point where I made a phone call to a gender therapist, psychologist, because I wanted my boobs so bad I could taste it. And... I had a bunch of stuff I needed to figure out. What I was really trying to figure out was how do I tell my wife, who I am deeply in love with, how do I tell my wife, you know that man that you thought you married in 1993? Yes, sorry. That's me and I'm not a man. I'm a woman. That was hard. That was very, very hard. I, I, I didn't know if we would survive it, but we did. I went on hormones December 2018, started growing these. And when we would go to nudist resorts from the waist up, I was decidedly female. But from the waist down, well, per society standard, I was decidedly male. I had a really nice set of boobs. My face was always well done. Uh, my hair was taken care of, but I still had what I prefer to call a sheenus. So when I would go to a nudist resort, I would wear a sarong when I was outside of the pool area. and. It was no, no, no issues until I took the sarong off. And then I would get questions. What are you? This was even the mindset in the nudist community. Some people accepted it, but not everybody. You were, I was still considered uh, something other. One of the sort of benefits that practitioners of nudism or naturism always tout is body acceptance, right? And yes. 
if you have dysphoria with your body, it, it it's a constant reminder of that, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Big time. Because you get people staring at it, so you become even more self-conscious. And then when they make comments like, what are you? Yeah, the, the dysmorphia, the dysphoria, it would rage. It was bad. Nudism is also referred to often as this great equalizer, right? When when it sheds people mm-hmm. of status or, or whatever effect, you know, when they put on dress. But um, yep. that's only true if, if you have a body that conforms to to what they consider normal right clothing is used as a mask as it were you can dress to appear to express outwardly what you want people to see but the neat thing about nudity not even referring to gender at this point or sexuality if nobody has any clothes on You're not talking to their crotch. You're not talking to their chest. You're talking to their face. And newsflash, your face, everybody's naked. Take the time. Talk to people. Get to know who they are, not what they are. Now, I'm looking forward to my first post-op visit to a nudist resort where I, I, I have a way of getting past that, what are you? Because <laughs> I have a beautiful functioning vulva and vagina. Looks like I was born with it. I got, I've got tatas. I can claim my own womanhood. I automatically get past the question of what are you? I'm just accepted as a female. And then once they get to talking to me and we get to, then I get to challenge their notions. But I kind of enjoy doing that because it makes people think. Some people are very opposed to it, but then others are like, wow, you're just like me. So it's one thing to be visible within the grounds of a nudist club, right? But you you do this really amazingly brave thing of putting yourself out there on Twitter and on TikTok and just out there for the world. And that visibility is really powerful because people see that. I wonder what sort of messages of inspiration you've gotten from people. Oh, wow. That's that's actually... I, I get lots of parents, aunts, uncles, other family members of a, a child who is trans or gender non-conforming, non-binary, that will reach out to me and say, how do I best support my child? And I'm able to give them the education. I get daily messages of, thank you. I really needed to see this. I needed to see that trans people can not just survive, but they can thrive. People ask me, why am I so out there? Why am I so public about being trans and a nudist, etc.? 
And really the answer is that I am trying to be the person that I needed to see when I was younger, feeling afraid, unloved, like I didn't matter. I'm trying to be the person that I needed to see for someone else that may feel that same way. I only know what you've told me here, right? So, but um, it sounds like your experience as a, as a trans person and sort of coming to grips with that a little bit came in exposure, right? It was, it was when the North Carolina bathroom debate was in the news and, and people were really talking yep. about what it meant to be a transgendered person or have if a- I can make a correction, I, I noticed you said the word transgendered, not transgendered. There's no such thing. I am transgender. I am a woman of trans experience. You are a man of cis experience. Due to what I refer to as a birth defect, my sheenus, I was assigned male at birth, but I was born a woman, always been a woman. I just pretended to be a man. And I did that in an effort to be safe. But safety was an illusion because I wasn't safe from me. I wasn't safe from the abuses that I perpetrated on myself by continuing to reiterate in my head, I'm just a freak. And I'm free now. I have peace. I, I'm not a freak. I'm as human as you. I'm as human as my son. I have feelings. I go to work. I've raised a family. Everybody deserves to be free. Whatever free looks like to you. For me, free looks like Hi, my name is Marie Willa. I am a transgender woman extraordinaire. And yeah, I'm a nudist. I, I don't like wearing clothes. I love that. And thank you for the correction. I, I was not aware that you had a son. You have a son? I actually have. Uh, we have two children. We have our our son, Andy. Um he switches from calling me dad to his badass Matushka. He is 28. He's a handful, even at that age. Yeah. And then we have our daughter, Katie. She still calls me dad. We have a pretty damn good relationship. We, we talk pretty much every day. She is 23. And through her, we have a grandchild. He calls me Mima. He is five. Oh. And he is precocious, <laughs> to say the least. He also doesn't like wearing clothes. <laughs> but from the time he was born up until three, he lived with us. Our home is clothing optional. So he'd always see me naked. He would sometimes see grandma naked. We would take him to the nudist resort with us. 
kids are natural born nudists. They really are. It's not until we as parents create the Pandora's box for them to open. Prior to that, they think being naked is just fun. It's normal. They don't have any of those hangups. But then somewhere along the way, we as parents, as society, we say, oh, well, those are private parts. So they grow up more often than not learning about shame, shame over their body parts because they aren't used to seeing, oh, they all, they all look different, all of them. So if they all look different, then maybe it's okay that I look different too. As a trans person, you would think that being trans and nudism would not go together. And they, they really kind of don't. Nudism taught me to accept other people, no matter what they look like. Nudism helped me to learn to accept the fact that I am trans. Didn't help me accept my body. It helped me accept that I'm trans. We are all transitioning of sorts because we're always growing, changing. Every person, that's, that's an, an inherent aspect of being human. In my case, I didn't have any peace until I had my bottom surgery. I am whole and I can live my life. That's such a profound feeling of love, self-love, whether I'm clothed or even more importantly, when I'm naked. Have love for me now, which enables my ability to be a better activist and more visible to the outside world. I do want to talk about your activism. How's that started for you, and and what does that look like? A lot of my activism is online, but I also will make phone calls and write letters to various political representatives for trans issues, LGBTQIA plus issues, for clothing-free lifestyles. I walk topless multiple times a week through my town. And I originally started it because a lot of my lady friends were, I wish I could do that when they would see a guy out topless. I'm like, why not? Why don't you? Well, we're afraid. We're ashamed. So it was my aim to change that for them. If I'm visible, me, six foot two, blue haired trans woman, no less, can get out there and do it. Maybe they can too. So I ended up last year, I actually organized a, um, a, top, a topless quality march. I didn't figure many people would show up. 25 people showed up for this thing. All right. Not everybody topless. People brought their whole families, their kids and the parents. 
and I've been asked to do more of that. So this year, I plan on starting to organize a couple more and see what comes of it. We will get it so that boobs are seen as normal. <laughs> Once that happens, maybe we might move on to the, the full human body. So, but yeah, that's 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 my activism. It's all of all of it is about visibility. How did you go about getting the blessing of the sheriff's department? Uh, not sheriff, the local police department. Pardon me. My first day that I took my first topless walk by myself, some now I had already done my research and found out that it was perfectly legal to walk topless. And um, this young buck of a police officer here in Fort Bragg, California, stops me. And it's like, we've been getting lots of phone calls and complaints. I'm like, that's a lie. You just saw me down at the previous corner. So you drove around and you're waiting for me here. First off, here's my license. My name is Marie. I'm a local resident here. I want to know why you are harassing me for doing something that's not against the law. I want to speak to your supervisor. Oh, well, you don't have to worry about that. My supervisor's on the way. Next thing you know, here comes another police car and uh, the sergeant comes, starts walking across the street and sees me and goes, Marie, how you doing, girl? What you doing out here? I'm like, I'm just out here for a walk and, you know, trying to get a little, little health and advocate and normalize people seeing boobs. And this young cop interrupts and goes, yeah, she's trying to tell me it's not illegal for her to walk topless. Sergeant Shaw looks at this cop and says, um, she's right. Technically, she could walk bare ass buck naked and there's nothing we can do about that either because it's not illegal. And he pointedly takes my license from this young cop, says, Marie, I am so sorry for the harassment you've received here. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your walk. Then he looks at these young cops and said, by the way, need to fair warn you, if you ever go to her house for any reason and she happens to be home, she will greet you wearing nothing but a smile. So then, there's a couple weeks after that, I got told that I should organize a rally. So I did. And I went, talked to the police chief. And we talked for a good half hour, 45 minutes. And that's when I found out that I had the full support of the police department because they believe that the people are too close-minded, too conservative of view. And they wanted more people like me advocating for the trans community, for women. Uh, and I do both. After I got home from my surgery, there was a message waiting on the answering machine. And it was from the local police chief checking in, make sure I was okay, 
see if I need anything, if anybody had been bothering me. And I was like, we're anxiously awaiting for you to get back out and start doing your walks again. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me, anecdotally at least, that that sort of support for that sort of subversive activity is pretty rare. Yeah, it's, it's very, very rare. <laughs> but you got realized I'm not causing trouble. I'm not breaking any laws. I'm just out walking, literally. That's all I'm doing. Maybe singing. Because <laughs> I got my headphones in and I've got my music going and I'm singing. And then people will stop me and I'll stop and I'll turn my music off and I'll chit chat. We have conversations. The more visibility it is, the better the opportunity to open up minds. What nudist club do you guys go to? Guys? When we first got into it, Cedar Trails out there in Ohio. When we would go on vacation from there, we'd go down to Florida and we would go to Cypress Cove over in Kissimmee. And then we moved out here to California. We'd found our home resort. It's called Laguna del Sol. It's over in Wilton, southeast of Sacramento. And we absolutely love it there. I'm treated with respect, acceptance. Uh, it, it strikes me you know, how important it is for, for the club to foster a safe space for not just trans people, but for all people. Everybody. And, and, that's, and that's, that's something that's really quite sad. Nudism is supposed to be, in my opinion, about acceptance. But yet, as a trans woman, I wouldn't be welcome in a lot of clubs post-surgery now probably would if i didn't mention i was trans yeah not openly right right um and that's sad they still they still practice discrimination and that's that's really sad because we're as human as they are How do you think institutional nudism or organized nudism could be better for trans people? Eliminate the quotas. A lot of your campgrounds, resorts, etc., they have quotas, ratio quotas, where you, a single woman, you have as many of them there as you want, but you have, you can only have so many men to one female. So they still have that binary view. Get rid of it and just let people be people. Uh, you know, keep the sexual activity in, in private. We don't want to see that. But just let people come and enjoy being themselves. No matter what they look like, whatever enjoying themselves as themselves looks like. appreciate your time and, and doing this with me. I look forward to it, Evan. Thank you.
transgender people are under legislative attack in the United States. Just in the two weeks prior to this recording, in mid-March 2022, new anti-trans bills have been introduced in Texas, Arizona, Kansas, Louisiana, Florida, Kentucky, New Hampshire, Tennessee, Utah, Alaska, Idaho, Mississippi, Alabama, Montana, and South Carolina. These laws are dangerous for all trans people, but particularly so for young people and people in marginalized communities. The fact is the pain caused by these laws reaches far beyond the trans community and affects families and children of all walks. Please consider supporting the organizations working to fight these unjust bills and providing support for the trans community. I'll include links to several great organizations in the show notes. Personally, I recently chose to make a financial donation to the National Center for Transgender Equality. Learn more about them or donate at transequality.org. Finally, contact your state Senate and Assembly representatives and urge them to support House Resolution 5, also known as the Equality Act. This episode included music sourced from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. Please see the show notes for detailed credits. Special thanks to Marie Willa Bobo Smith, Marge Bobo Smith, Andy Tabbitt, Shannon Lewis, Timothy Sargent, Carl Hild, Kimberly Nix, and Stefan DeShane. If you enjoyed this episode of Naked Age, please subscribe. Send us a message, listen to past episodes, or read the behind the scenes blog at nakedage.co. Thanks for listening.